Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Luke chapter 5, you there? All right. I want to try one more time because you guys are super quiet. You there? Okay, thank you. Now, our text uh, tonight is Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. And so before Christmas, here in chapter 5, we left off seeing Jesus and his disciples going to this party hosted by a man by the name of Levi. And and so we remember that Levi was a tax collector. And in those days, tax collectors were were outcasts. They were the the worst of the worst of sinners. And so this tax collector invites his friends, you know, the other outcasts, the other worst of the worst sinners, and he invites Jesus and his disciples to this big shindig at his house. And so the religious establishment of that day, the, you know, the holier than thou people of that day were totally offended by Jesus and his disciples spending time with these sinners. They could not fathom why they would show up to that dinner, and they did not get that Jesus and his disciples had this this general, happy, joyful approach to life. That is the the religious establishment's idea of spirituality at that time meant that, you know what, you were solemn and, and you were serious and, and, and you were miserable most of the time. That's what it meant to be spiritual. And one of the ways that you could show that you were really, really miserable was to fast. And so they noticed that Jesus' disciples were not fasting. They're not being miserable enough. What is going on here? And so that brings us up to their question in our text today. Take a look with me in your Bibles, verse 33. It says this, And they said to him, that is Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours, what? Eat and drink. That is Jesus, your disciples, they're partying. (laughs) They're celebrating. What's up with that? That is, church isn't supposed to be happy. You know, being spiritual is not supposed to be a a joyful thing. And so their accusation to Jesus is this. Jesus, you're too happy. Your disciples are too happy. Now, for some context here, we, we need to understand about fasting. First off, we need to kind of know what fasting is. And I, I didn't get this into your notes, so you may write this down in a blank spot there in your, in your notes section there. Fasting is this. Spiritual fasting is abstaining from food for a specified time for a specific purpose, uh, like the pursuit of God or a request from God. It is, a, it is abstaining from food for a specified time for a specific purpose, a request from God or the pursuit of God. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, fasting was only commanded once a year. 
and it was on the Day of Atonement. You can read Leviticus chapter 16 if you want to get more information on that on your own time. But it was the day when the priest would offer sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. And it was pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus to come. It was pointing them to their Messiah that would ultimately bring them into relationship and into the presence of God forever. And now we see other examples of fasting in the Old Testament that, listen, they, they weren't commanded, but people did fast, and they, they, were, they were good and, and appropriate fasts that they did. For example, Moses fasted when he received the law from Mount Sinai. David fasted when Saul and Jonathan got killed. He, he fasted when he was praying for his child that God would heal him and and he wouldn't die. Esther prayed for three days in order to have favor with the king. Nehemiah did the same thing. He fasted and prayed to have favor with the ruler in his day. Daniel fasted and prayed for God's mercy, and and he fasted and prayed in order to understand God's word to him in that day. But along with all those appropriate uses of fasting, in the Old Testament we see abuses of fasting as well. That is, there were religious people in that day, as they are, as there are in every age, who who looked at fasting, who who took it, and they perverted it. They took something good, and they twisted it. And so they took fasting, and they thought that their sacrifice was somehow achieving them more holiness than everyone else around them. That is, despite the fact that the Old Testament prophets were always telling them, that's not true. God doesn't approve of that. And listen, you can read Isaiah 58 or uh, Jeremiah 14 if you want to read some more on that whole thing on your own time. But predictably so, By the time that Jesus appears on the scene, the Pharisees had literally made it a rule that if you are a godly person, you must fast twice a week, Monday and Thursday of every week. If you were going to be a godly person, it was required. And so fasting for them involved looking as miserable as possible. In fact, some of them would paint their face white so they'd look even more emaciated, more miserable than they would on their own because they thought that would somehow gain them God's attention. And so the first point in your notes is, fill this in in your notes, fasting became merely an external ritual. Fasting became merely an external ritual. That is, the Pharisees thought that their ritual observance gained them some kind of favor with God, and they were self-righteous about it. They thought that they were more spiritual than everybody else, and they did it in front of everybody else, so everybody else would think that they were more spiritual than everybody else. They liked that attention and Jesus actually speaks into that in Matthew chapter 6. He says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Next verse. 
But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Next verse. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. Now, ultimately, we have a lot of parallels in our day with this whole spirit of religion. It is rigid. It is not willing to change. And listen, it can be present in a pastor. It can be present in a church. It can be present in a whole denomination, or it can be a present in an individual. But the idea is, is that true religion it is solemn. It's, it, it's joyless. It's gloomy. And, and spirituality just consists of things that you don't want to do. The more you don't want to do it and the more you hate it, the more spiritual it is. And so listen, churches. It's supposed to be a solemn thing. It's supposed to be a ritualistic thing. It is a a lifeless thing. And so listen, what is old and, and what is tradition is always what is best. And so Jesus is revealing here, and we'll see him press into it more. He's going to press into this whole idea that true religion is actually the exact opposite. Now, Jesus is going to specifically answer why his disciples are not currently fasting. Take a look at verse 34. He says this, And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? That is, Jesus answered their question by alluding to the wedding practices of that day. And so a wedding feast in that day was the most vivid picture of joy and happiness that they could that in that culture that was the greatest picture of celebration of happiness and of joy and it was a week long party man they knew how to throw a celebration ours is like one day there's was a week and during that celebration the wedding party the guests and the bridegroom and the bride everyone according to Jewish law they were exempt from any ceremonial observances that would take away from the joy of that moment. And so what Jesus was saying is, listen, this is one of those moments. He is saying, I am the bridegroom, and those who follow me are the bride. I am present. And he was declaring, listen, God is in your midst. I am it. The Messiah is here. The kingdom is present. And so now is not a time of fasting, it is a time of feasting. That is, when Jesus is present, there's fullness of joy, there's fullness of peace, there's fullness of life, there's there's fullness of goodness. Being around Jesus is a thrill. Being around Jesus is a celebration. And so his followers are happy. And so fill this in in your notes. Fasting is not appropriate when Jesus is present for a time of feasting or celebration. Fasting is not appropriate when Jesus is present for a time of feasting or celebration. And so the disciples are in such a time. Now Jesus goes on to say, however, there will be a time that when Jesus leaves that his followers will fast. Verse 35, Jesus continues. The days will come 
when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they, what? Will fast in those days. And so Jesus was hinting at his coming, you know, rejection, the fact that he would be crucified, ultimately that he would be resurrected and that he would ascend to the Father. And so listen, when Jesus is physically gone, his followers will fast. That is until he comes again, right? Until the party in heaven, which is Revelation 19. You might want to write that down. That's when we'll feast again in Jesus' presence. And so fill this in in your notes. Here's the next point. Fasting is appropriate today. Fasting is appropriate today. However, fasting is not a forlorn thing. It's not a a, a miserable thing. It is about us experiencing Jesus' presence more and more in our lives. That is, listen, Jesus is not with us physically anymore, but he is with us spiritually. That is, Jesus is present within us. Jesus' spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit indwells each and every follower of him. And the Holy Spirit indwells us corporately as well when we gather as the body of Christ in Jesus' name. And so listen, Jesus is here. He is present in our midst. His word declares it whether you feel it or not. And so when we experience God's presence, Jesus' presence by faith in his word and by the revelation and power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of that in our lives is is fullness, fullness of love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and self-control. And so fasting today, listen, is not about mourning It is about seeking. Fasting is not about mourning today. It is about seeking. It's about seeking to know God more. That is to experience his presence and power more in our lives, to be more surrendered to him, to be more dependent upon him. And so in the New Testament, we see the followers of Jesus fasting for breakthroughs, that is to experience God's power more in their situation. For example, Jesus said in Matthew 17, 21, when his disciples came to him and asked, you know, hey, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast out that demon? And so Jesus responds, well, that kind, by the way, when he says that kind, that means that there is more than one kind of demon that there are principalities and powers that are different authorities and different powers of demons. That's a whole nother sermon. But Jesus says that kind only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. And so we learn here that is they were asking for breakthrough here specifically deliverance and it happened through prayer and fasting. Or, for example, Paul fasted in Acts chapter 8, looking for God's guidance 
He prayed and fasted so that he would know God's will for his life. The church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13 did exactly the same thing. They were praying for God's will and guidance and favor in their next step. And so they gathered together and they prayed and fasted. Now, having said that, I, I want to real quick just mention some reasons or wrong reasons that people fast today that, listen, that we should avoid. You might write these down. They're not in your notes either. I'm a little rusty. See, I left some stuff out. <laughs> the first one that we should avoid is, is just as a religious ritual. Uh, and people still do this today where, where you think that somehow you're appeasing God that you think that somehow you're doing some penance before God? People do this all the time. Second, thinking that fasting is the magic bullet to get God to do what you want. Well, God, I fasted, so now you got to do what I asked you to do. You think that that's some kind of control mechanism to manipulate God to do something for you. Or last... Ultimately, that the fasting somehow makes you more spiritual. Or that you do it or talk about it so that people think <laughs> that you're more spiritual. Now, having said all that, I would say this. Fasting is not a requirement, but I believe that it is hugely beneficial. And so listen, I practice prayer and fasting. It is a regular discipline in my life. And I usually fast three to four days at a time. And so when I fast, I, I am seeking to know God more. I am seeking his presence in my life more. When I fast, I'm typically bringing something before him. I'm looking for a personal breakthrough in my life or in my family's life, or I'm praying for a breakthrough in our church. And what I'm asking for is that we would experience God's power in our lives more and more. Now, also when I fast, because I fast for such a long time, I have lots of requests, I'm always praying for God's guidance and will for my life, for my family, for our plans as a church. Because listen, I want to be in step with the Spirit and how He is moving today and how he is moving in our future because just because God did it this way in the past doesn't mean he's going to do it the same way today. How many of you understand that? Now, there are some practical things that I experienced from fasting as well that I wanted to give you. And, and one is, is this, because, because I'm fasting, when I'm fasting, because I'm weak during my time of fasting, listen, every hunger pain that I have is a reminder to me of my dependence upon God. And so when I get that hunger pain, in that moment, just quickly in that moment, I just, I, I worship God and I just, I just remind myself, God, I, I surrender myself to you. I am, I am fully dependent on you. And so fasting brings me into a greater experience of surrender and dependence before God. A second practical thing that I personally experience from fasting is the fulfillment of the instruction that we started the service with from Jesus when he told his disciples to pray that we should ask, seek, 
and knock because when I fast, my asking is more intense and my seeking is more focused and my knocking is way louder because I am all in when I'm fasting. Now, a third practical aspect of fasting for me is simply this. It reminds me that I'm not a slave to my appetites. It reminds me that my flesh does not control me. God's spirit does. I can say no to anything my flesh or any desire. Now, Jesus goes on to give two parables here that are easy to understand and are basically teaching the same truth. And he says this in in verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. That is, there's a broader issue than just fasting that Jesus is pressing into here. He, he's talking about the whole old religious system. And he's saying here, listen, I haven't come to patch up the old religious system. That's not what I'm doing. I'm doing a whole new thing. And so that's why Christianity isn't just the sect of Judaism. He says, I'm doing a new thing. I'm creating a new thing, a church full of Gentiles and Jews, full of my Holy Spirit. This is a whole new move of God. Verse 37, he continues to make his point. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into what? That is, you can't put new wine into an old, hard, rigid wineskin because the new wine begins to ferment inside of it. It begins to expand. It begins to grow, and the old, hardened structure cannot flex with it. And so it causes the wineskin to burst and the new wine to be lost. Fill this in in your notes. New moves of the Lord do not fit into old structures. Some of you who have been with me for 20 years have lived this a few times. Anyone want to say amen to that? That is, when people try to put something of a new move of the Lord into an old structure, they end up not only quenching the wine of the Spirit, but also blowing apart the structure in the process. Now listen, this applies to people individually as well as churches corporately. And so listen, here is what happens. That is ultimately when people are touched by the Lord and they are filled with the Spirit. Listen, a new joy ignites in them. There is life and vitality to their faith. It just bubbles from within them. And and then ultimately they'll soon discover, just like what happened after 
Jesus' baptism, that, that they are led out into the wilderness to face temptation, to face hard times, to face battles. And so listen, it is at that point, if they or an individual or a church or whatever are unwilling to face that difficulty, they're unwilling to face that challenge. Listen, they burst and they go back. They go back to the predictable previous ways where they, they go to church, they go through the motions, they, they might serve, they might even give, but they're basically playing the game. They're, they're, they're going to church to check off the box, and, and it's lifeless. Now, given that, Ultimately, does that mean that we're all doomed <laughs> at some point to become hardened old wineskins that cannot contain the new move of the Lord in our time? Well, listen, the answer to that is no, but we're going to see here in a moment in our last verse, I don't want you to miss it, in our last verse that Jesus warns us against that because it is a huge problem. It is a problem that we have that are bent individually and are bent as a church is to become rigid and is to become hardened. That is, our bent is toward the old and our bent is toward the familiar and comfortable and to not stay flexible, to not stay pliable and growing and moving with the Lord. We have to work at moving that direction. And so the question comes, how, how then do we stay fresh? Well, I think the answer is right here in how Jesus is instructing us in this verse. That is in verse 38, the Greek word translated new in relation to new wine here is the Greek word neos, and it means new, but the Greek word translated fresh in regards to fresh wineskins, and, and in a lot of translations, if you have a different translation, it's the word new again. They translate it new wine, new wineskins. But the Greek word there is kainos. But it actually literally means, listen, renewed. That is one of the things that you need to know about the culture of that day in Bible times, wineskins were a fairly expensive thing. And so when they began to get hardened, when they began to get rigid, people didn't have the money to just go out and buy new ones. And so what they would do is they would soak the old one in water until its elasticity and its flexibility returned. That is, if we do not want to get old, if we do not want to get rigid and, and stuck we got to get soaked. We, we got to get soaked individually and listen as a church. Well, how do we get soaked? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 7 and in John chapter 15. In John chapter 7, Jesus compares the Spirit to water, and he says, as you fill yourself with the Spirit, that from within you, there'll be rivers of living water flowing out of you. 
And then in John chapter 15, he compares the, the word, the Bible, to water, that it washes our minds, that it washes our hearts, it renews our hearts, it renews our minds. And so we get soaked by the word and by the spirit. We get soaked by keeping ourselves immersed into God's word and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so listen, there is only one place There is only one place a believer or a church cannot be, and that is to stay put. Because we're either growing and expanding and being flexible with the Word and the Spirit, or listen, we're just going through the motions, and we're becoming hard, and we're becoming rigid, and we're becoming lifeless. And thus, Jesus' warning here in verse 39, here it is. And no one after drinking the old wine desires new, for he says, eh, old's good. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for my grandpa. It's good enough for me. That is because people and because churches are more comfortable with what is familiar And with what is old, they assume that it is better. Simply because it's tradition, simply because it's the way that we've always done it, and they resist the new. In fact, they don't even want to taste the new. We do this with our sin. We are more comfortable with our sin than the freedom of the Holy Spirit. We're just like the Israelites talking to Moses. Moses, we don't like the wilderness. We want to go back to Egypt. Yeah, we were in slavery. We were in bondage, but it was predictable. And we had three square meals a day. So what? We didn't have any freedom. So what? They were abusing us. But hey, we knew what was going to happen. We like that better than trusting our God out here in the wilderness for our daily provision, looking in faith to some future promised inheritance. We want to go back. We prefer slavery over the good rule of our Father who wants so much more for us. And so you see, fill this in in your notes, our bent, our bent is to prefer the familiar over the new. And so listen, ultimately, I need to stay soaked. We need to stay soaked in the Word and in the Spirit because I want to be more and more like Jesus. I don't want to get old and rigid and lifeless. I know you don't as well. Don't don't you want to become more and more like Jesus? Don't. Don't, don't you want your inner man being renewed day by day, even though your outer man is decaying? Anybody with me on this stuff? Yeah? I want to be in on the new move of God, what He wants to do in these last days. And the only way He can use us, gang, is if we stay pliable. The only way He can use us is if we stay soaked.
I don't want to miss what God has for us. I don't want to miss out on where God can move in and through us. And and so I would just ask us, I would just ask us, let's stay immersed in God's word. Let's, let's stay filled with his Holy Spirit. Let's, let's prefer the good rule of our Father over that which is predictable, comfortable. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.